Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of Sporting the Wave on the Promote Yourself podcast. I am your host, Trey Walker, as always, here to bring you the most positive, uplifting, and vibey energy as possible. Um, joining me today again are Zay Joyce and Zach Swanson. I appreciate you guys being here. There we go. Um, so, I mean, let's just let's just jump right into it, right? I mean, obviously, the big story of the weekend uh, is the Super Bowl. So, of course, we're going to talk about it. Um, we apologize not getting predictions out last week, but here we're going to come back and talk about Super Bowl with layers to it, right? Um, but the first and to some maybe the most boring layer of it is the recap, right? And I saw, and I think what, what many of us got to witness was such a phenomenal chess match of a game. Um, I mean, Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan coached their behinds off. I'll keep it PG right there. Um, and it was a game of execution where ultimately little plays added up and made the difference. Niners got off to, I wouldn't call it a hot start, 10-0 though, leading out the half, um, really keeping Mahomes hemmed in, Travis Kelsey being held to one catch one yard. I mean, I think even just one target in that first half. So really executing a game plan of taking away the Chiefs weapon and keeping the running game in check while McCaffrey got loose on a really actually awesome play between uh, him and Greg Jennings, who got a passing touchdown and a receiving touchdown. One of only two players, the only to do that in the Super Bowl, the other one being Nick Foles. So, uh, I, ooh, I was going to say something that wasn't PG because with the, the name that they give Nick Foles from that 2018 Super Bowl. Um, but jumping back into the second half, I mean, it was really a masterclass of adjustments made by both teams. Um, but obviously, if you were watching the game, the Chiefs really came back with biting force. And I think Patrick Mahomes really stepped out and showed why this organization deserves to be called a dynasty after this win, um, being the quarterback that he is, proving why he deserves that 10-year, $500 million contract, um, and already approaching that Brady kind of status in conversations. I mean, obviously, I think there's there's a few rings to be won there before he really clutches onto that mantle, but he is showing a trajectory unlike most 99% of the NFL in terms of quarterbacks throughout the history of the NFL. Um, and it was uh, a nail biter of a game. And as somebody who didn't have a dog in the race, I enjoyed it. My dad as a Niners fan on pens and needles <laughs> throughout the game. Uh, but that game, I think was just more about there being greatness on both sides and one guy showing why he's already being looked at as potentially the best football player to have ever played the game. I think when you look at it from the perspective of what the Niners did correct, um, they did a lot of things in terms of defensively in the first half, like I said, hemming in those star players and staying true to their offensive identity, you know, feeding Christian McCaffrey, even though he was limited to less than four yards of carry, you, you know, you force feed the ball to him, you get it to your playmakers, Debo a little quiet, Ayuk a little quiet, George Kittle, honestly, kind of silent most of the game. Um, but Brock Purdy playing at a level that he really elevates him, I think, in a conversation. Um, and it just happens to be that you didn't play better than Patrick Mahomes. 
Um, and I think if that's the conversation surrounding you, then you're in pretty good shape. Um, but I, that's what I think it is, is Mahomes elevating even beyond what he already was, which is kind of crazy to even think about. But also you had guys on the, the Niners side that stepped up, namely in Brock Purdy, um, showing themselves to be soon to be faces of the league. So it's kind of that dynamic between solidifying yourself as an all-time great, Mahomes, Kelsey, Andy Reid, and new guys coming up, particularly with Brock Purdy leading the charge, supported by obviously your, you know, your Fred Warners, your CMCs, um, and so forth. But what perspective did you guys have on the game when it comes to that? Like, but what do you think? Who stood out more in that perspective? I think it was mostly like from my perspective, it seemed like it was very Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes S to win in that fashion. I mean, you look at the previous two Super Bowls, they're down 10 in both of those and they come back to win it. So I think it was, it was really telling of how phenomenal of a coach Andy Reid is, but also how great of a player Patrick Mahomes has become over the what seven years now that he's been the starting quarterback for the chiefs. And like you said, the adjustments that, both coaches made, but especially Andy Reid and the attention to detail. <clears throat> Looking at, you know, the first half only scoring three points, really not getting off to the start that you want and finding a way to go from three to 25 by the end of the game was just, it was a very impressive switch. And I think Steve Spagnola also deserves credit for the defense. You know, I know they gave up 22 and they didn't play great in parts, but they played great in the spots that they needed to. And I think that was, you know, that's like what makes a great team is when you have, you know, coaches and players who they show up in the spots that you absolutely need them to. Um, Isaiah McDuffie and um, Chris Jones, the way that they played and led the defense. So just making the plays where they needed to make plays. And I mean, you look at both teams had, turnovers and mistakes that they made but it was it was a great Super Bowl for sure yeah my take was it was just a defensive battle it was that's where all of the hard earned yards were fought and it was really hard to score in the first half as you said 10 to 3 I mean there's not really much that goes on in a 10 to 3 game but when you actually looked at what was happening it was just constant pressure on the quarterbacks we were talking about just like the stars and who were the playmakers for that first half the defense just shut it down completely and that was on both sides. I was really impressed with the 49ers, but then the Chiefs, you know, they were holding them down too. You mentioned Chris Jones before, but just the fact that all of the offensive weapons on the 49ers didn't have a chance to go off really. You know, Christian McCaffrey, even with this fumble, he had a few breakaways. He had a touchdown and stuff, but they were just shutting them down. And I think that more honestly, in my opinion, like the second half of the game was won by the offense of the Chiefs but the first half was really won by the defense for both teams. And so I think that it could have been a very different game had the defenses been able to overcome kind of the offensive changes. And honestly, we might've been looking at a different outcome had that been the case. But I think either way, a lot of emerging stars on both offense and defense emerged. And I think it even solidified even more what we already knew, which is that some of these players are going to be first ballot Hall of Famers, you know? Yeah, I uh, I think you guys make a great point as far as the defense is concerned. For a game that witnessed 47 points, I thought we saw a lot of spectacular defensive plays and possessions. 
Um, you know, to your point, the the McDuffie bat down, that was a touchdown. Chris Jones getting in Bert Purdy's face on multiple occasions that saved touchdown throws. So it was it was a really a defensive masterclass, like you said, in the first half. And then we saw adjustments and we saw Mahomes be great. Mahomes step in and really earn this one because um, I think what potentially makes this really sweet for the Chiefs is no, not being considered a powerhouse per se, like in in the sense that they were in years prior, um, not just being overpowered um, and just like the clear favorite. Like, you know, the I think you go into this game, if you're being honest, the Niners have a better team altogether, a better team put together, best team on the field. Um, and that was something that the Chiefs had to overcome and their defense, I think, to your point, kept them in it long enough to lead the way, to pave the way for Patrick Mahomes to then step in and take control and be Patrick Mahomes. So that said, that second half shifts completely, and now we see a game that goes into overtime, which, I mean, when you when you talk about the biggest of stages um, in the sports world, at least within North America, um, I mean, the Super Bowl overtime, there's, there's no bigger pressure there and there's been a lot of talk late like you know in in the hours since the day since about strategies and whether it's you know deferring or receiving first um understanding the rules to postseason football overtime football um so i mean i i want to kind of hear you guys perspective i know you're not head coaches or anything in the league but what do you take as how do you guys envision being successful in uh, an overtime postseason game when it with the new rules in place? Um, I think it depends on your team. I think, you know, the best coach knows his team. I know a lot of media that I watched today, they talked about how they didn't love the Kyle Shanahan, let's, let's go offense first, you know, because that used to be the way. It was always the first team that scored won the game, and now each team gets a chance to score. But I think you have to know your team. So... I I personally don't didn't love the call to get the ball because I think it puts a lot of pressure on Brock Purdy to go and be that guy. Whereas as good as their defense could be, especially with the leaders that they have on the defensive side of the ball, the 49ers, I think it would have been possibly a better call, but hindsight's 2020. So I do think it's more about knowing your team and maybe not necessarily knowing, you know, maybe the analytics side of it, but understanding what your team is capable of, where your leaders are at, and what's going to put you in the best position to be successful. So, you know, for the Niners, it happened to be taking the ball and, you know, it didn't work out. But that doesn't mean necessarily that if they had picked defense that they would have won the game either. So, it, you know, it's all 50-50 at that point. You got any thoughts, Zach? Not much. My only thought was, hey, if you're going to get the ball, you better score. If you don't leave it, Patrick Mahomes with the ball with as much time as he needs in the Super Bowl to finish the drive off on a win. I think if you're the 49ers, like, you have to score. There's no other option. It's not like, let's kick the ball. It's like, oh, fourth and nine? Well, fuck it. Like, we're going to lose if we kick a field goal anyways. That would be my only critique of them in the overtime. I think... They put together a good drive. Both teams did. But if you're playing against Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs, they're going to score. So you better, too. Yeah, I like your points. One. So as far as what Zay said, you know, that pressure on Purdy to come out with the first possession or in overtime and even in 
regulation. I mean, many teams do this where they defer to get the ball back in the second half. But at a slightly deeper level thinking about, all right, we're looking at a, a second-year quarterback, Mr. Irrelevant, who's, who's been great, um, but there's been a lot of questions surrounding what can he lead the team to? What is his peak? And you start the Super Bowl off with, let him feel this pressure. Let him feel what this first drive really means to this game. And then now that's repeated, albeit by the 49ers decision. Um, and he has to go out there in overtime and set the tone because everything you do in this drive will dictate to some degree what the Chiefs then have to do to respond to you. And and similarly, with what, two minutes? The Chiefs got the ball roughly with like two minutes to go in regulation. And again, to Zach's point, you're giving Patrick Mahomes the ball with too much time and the game in his hands. And this is maybe, you know, to, to Zay's point in an earlier episode, um, when you're a coach like Dan Campbell, and you're aggressive all the way because you know who you're facing against. And ultimately, you have to go out and take this game. You can't expect this game to kind of fall in your lap. And definitely not with the way the Chiefs have played this postseason um, and been able to, you know, transition into a new identity than they have in years past. So, I mean, and we could talk about overtime strategy um, for a while now, because I, I know I could get into the ins and outs of when now you have the ball in the second half or of overtime. And now you're not worried about the clock because they'll just start another quarter. And you have four downs because you have to score regardless. At the minimum, now you need a field goal, if not a touchdown. And now you've had a full game worth of time to break down what this defense is trying to do to you. And when you're Patrick Mahomes, that's avoid, uh, keep contained by limiting how far down the field you go, keeping pass rush lanes very uh, supported without breaking up the pocket and giving him maneuverability to create a new pocket. But this Patrick Mahomes that we saw in this game is an evolved version from three years ago. Still just as great, if not better, because now he can read and pick apart defenses in ways that he couldn't and with even less than he had in years prior. So perhaps the strategy is keep the ball out of Mahomes' hands. Run <laughs> the ball, keep it in CMC's hands. You, your best chance to win a football game against Patrick Mahomes is by keeping him on the field, off the field as much as possible. Um, now, obviously, new overtime rules. You can only do so much of that. but you've got to go down there and score a touchdown to put a little bit more pressure on his side of the game. Um, but I think, I think that's been a pretty good recap as far as what the game has been. Um, we could probably sit down and have like a, an Ocho, uh, nightcap <laughs> breaking down what the game was. Cause it, it really was a spectacular game. I think we got treated to one of the best Super Bowls in a while, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think can now I add one thing before you, oh, yeah, before yeah, you switch yeah, over. For sure. When I was thinking about emerging stars, I'm really excited to see Rashi Rice. I think that as far as like weapons go for the Chiefs, people are like, he has no weapons. I think Rashi Rice is low-key good, and I think he could like evolve into a really good wide receiver. So I just want to throw that in before we kept moving along because we know all of the other ones are good. We know Brock Purdy is good. He's not Mr. Relevant. They're just being stupid. We know freaking Christian McCaffrey, all of the defense for the 49ers, all of the defense for the Chiefs, they're excellent. But I think Rashi Rice, I'm not as optimistic about Pacheco 
but I think Rashi Rice has something in him that I think can make him low key like better than a Waddle, maybe one tier down from Tyreek Hill, you know, in, in the next Ooh. season. So someone who might want to keep your eye on if you're obviously looking to play fantasy or whatever, yeah. you might want to keep your eye on Rashi Rice. No, I I think I think he was at the center of a few a few plays, including some ones that he didn't get targeted. There was a play. Uh, was it overtime or was it it might have been I think it actually was during regulation on that last on that game tying drive when he he was right there in the middle of of a zone yep and if Mahomes had seen him you got a touchdown could be done in regulation um so I think that yeah great experience for him and being able to be kind of disguised between Kelsey and MVS um, and that he isn't necessarily the one choice, but he can kind of be that slick number two or three, the kind of similar in a way that Juju was in Pittsburgh. Mm. When Juju was at his best, he was behind AB. So Rashi Rice, if they can get another couple of years out of Travis Kelsey, which they probably will, knowing the guy, yeah. um, that's great mentorship. That's somewhere he can absolutely develop. Now, that said, I am pretty optimistic on Isaiah Pacheco, especially mm. given the new look Chiefs in the sense mm. of showing how committed this this season they've been to establishing the run, to creating some honesty out of the defense that gives Mahomes that much more depth and ability to work with. Um, I mean, heck, they, they ran more than the Ravens, which is almost unfathomable. So he, I think he will be, and, you know, Mr. Angry Runner will emerge as probably one as one of the best backs in the league. Um, I do like his physical style. I like the way he does run hard. So, um, but yeah, no good props to you showing, uh, showing love to, to Rashi Rice. Cause he will be, he will be one of their primary weapons for years to come. Um, but now let's transition and say, I'll pass it over to you to kind of lead this for us um, into kind of beyond like outside the lines and just the spectacle of everything that goes into the Super Bowl. Ludacris. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to your point about viewership. So this year's brought in roughly a 120 million, I think is what I was reading on. And I mean, the lowest it's been in the last 10 years, it's well, it's only been less than 112 million viewers just one year. That was 2020. 
other than that, it's been at 112, 113 and up. Um, and this year being one of the, the highest ones actually since 2016, um, when it was 126 million, um, or 2017 when it was 119 million. So I think they're finding a consistent brand. And to your point now, you've, you've got a bunch of influencers and people showing up celebs at the games and that isn't necessarily new, but now you have a dynasty who has added uh, individual dynasty to their organization and Taylor Swift. Like, I don't, I don't care that, you know, whoever wants to be upset about seeing her and I'll joke like, all right, come on, like get back to the game. Like this is a really tense moment. I don't care if how Taylor Swift's feeling, I'm feeling a certain way, <laughs> but I think there's a lot of people who are way too upset about it um, for ultimately what amounts to like less than 20 seconds of her being on screen time. Uh, but now, when you think about it from a business standpoint, both as the NFL and as the Chiefs, you add a powerhouse like Taylor Swift to in bringing her whole her whole cult of six to thirty six year olds into NFL football, and now having Travis Kelsey be, for lack of a better word, reduced to Taylor Swift's boyfriend. I think that's a great thing for you. Like as a league, like, I mean, you, you're tapping into, like you said, a whole like different realm that you didn't really have access to that now is going to be pouring in. If nothing else, just to see their queen, just to see their queen rooting for her man on the, on the field. So um, I think that's one of the best things to happen for the NFL. Um, Like whether you agree with it as a, as an individual fan or not, from their business standpoint, that's a win. That's a win. But Zach, I wanted to hear what you thought on it because I know you have you might be able to deliver a little bit of a different perspective when it comes to like psychologically what brings us in and attracts us to things that maybe we aren't initially attracted to. So uh, Taylor Swift being kind of like a a proxy and a bridge. Mm-hmm. What kind of other things? has the league looked at in terms of bringing new fans in? Shit. I have no idea. I have have no idea in terms of like what they've done, but I've seen like a ton of media that's shown just like how, like the increase and influx of like women who are actually becoming more interested. Like I felt lucky when my girlfriend was a football fan. Like if you can find a girl who's a football fan, like that was like me feeling super happy. And she wasn't somebody who switched over, you know, once Taylor Swift came to the league, she was already a football fan, which is awesome. Mm. But I've seen like so much media about like, you know, dads texting their daughters now, like different like Taylor Swift memes and football. And like they look forward to watching the games together. And so I think just the idea of like having a cool family dynamic and making more people feel included in the game, which is typically like a male dominated audience and sport, I think is really cool to be able to see you know, families coming together in a different way. Obviously, like all of us, we're kind of like from the South, so it's already a part of our culture. But I think little things like this, as far as like having like inclusive um, programs and having these celebrities that like represent a broader audience and bringing them in is just going to help NFL and, and football culture spread across different types and walks of life, which I think is pretty cool. Um yeah, I'm I'm one of the people who don't give a fuck if if she's there. I think it's kind of cool because it's more inviting. You know, I don't think that 
it's distracting me from watching the game because it's still a three hour game. So like boohoo to those people who, who care about that. But um, I think it's also interesting to see like every year in my personal life, since I was a little kid, the Super Bowl has been like a party. I think you mentioned it earlier, Trey, like the Super Bowl was conveyed as like a holiday. I don't know if that's like a Southern thing or like just like my, my circle, my family and stuff. But every year, I was invited by friends this year because I'm not near home and I was able to have an amazing weekend because of it. And so I'm just thankful that it gives me time to like gather with friends and family and to like celebrate together, eat lots of food uh, and hang out. So that's kind of like the social aspect of the game that I like a lot. Yeah. And I think to your point, they, they we've really capitalized on it like yeah like a, a holiday in the sense that whether you have a dog in the race or not like you know for example i i'm not a niners or a chiefs fan i'm still plenty interested in the game as a whole um and granted i'm a football fan but to your point you know if i invite you and even if you weren't a football fan you finding out that all right yeah we're getting the gang together to watch the game together and you know there will be points where you're interested just because your friends are interested or your family is interested and you're excited or sad or whatever, because they are, and you might have friendly competitions or wagers within the house where you're, you're, you're making punishments or bets against each other and it becomes this whole other thing. So it really, it really has, like I said, become a holiday um, because I mean, some people even take off work the next day. I don't want to point fingers or raise hands, but it, it happens. So, but it's, I think that's one of the best things about the Super Bowl um, beyond it being the game itself. And even to take that a step further, the way commercials are like directed, created, produced, and like thought of year round in preparation for this massive event where you're knowing you're getting more than likely over a, a hundred. 1,520 plus million people watching. You've got all eyes on you. So like that's, that's, it's funny that that's even kind of a, a piece in its own, right? People looking forward to Super Bowl commercials and they'll even send out like little teaser commercials, like watch the full thing on the Super Bowl. And mm -hmm. like, that's kind of even its own little buzz and it kind of keeps you locked in and tuned in to the game, even when the game's not on. And so like, what... I think you mentioned it before, like, you know, many of them take a real humorous approach. Some of them mm -hmm. take even a more serious kind of like impactful, powerful approach. Like, do you have an opinion on like, what's, what's the most effective way to kind of captivate an audience with a message? Yeah. I think it's interesting thinking about it from like a positive media perspective, which is, you know, kind of part of our brand is like trying to build positive media and so the idea of positive media is, you know, where does it, where are the boundaries of what makes something positive? And clearly, I think media that is inspiring and serious is is good, um, but also media that makes us laugh. Like when we were talking before, the Super Bowl is a social gathering and laughing together, laughing in groups is like one of the most uplifting things that can happen. And so the fact that so many of these commercials aim it at humor and like trying to make people laugh, at least me personally, I laugh at some of them or a lot of them. They're all silly. Um, some of them are, are funnier than others. Some of them like fall flat on their face. Um, but I was, I was just wondering, like, you know, why, why is humor the thing that they try to use to captivate the audiences? And I think to your 
earlier question, I think some of it does just come down to like their understanding that when people watch the Super Bowl, they're in the groups. And then when people laugh together, they build positive memories and they can remember those things. It's like, I remember we were at the Super Bowl watch party and we were all sitting there laughing and it was such a good time. And I don't know how much of that carries over into actually wanting to buy the products. I have no insight into that, but I think as a, as a entertaining event of the year, I think it does well at kind of like focusing a little bit less on, you know, like just random commercials and making it a little bit more fun for the viewer. Um, I at least appreciate it, but. Yeah. I mean, even like to that point, like State Farm, right? So State Farm mm -hmm. had, I don't know if you saw the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny DeVito. Yeah, that was a good one. Super, uh, commercial. And, you know, State Farm doesn't need to necessarily push more insurance in the Super Bowl. Like they have ads year round running with Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and, you know, other stars and other well-known, more current figures that are like big names. Um, but like that's, to your point, like a callback. That takes, like, we understand that groups of people are getting together, groups of, you know, across a wide range of ages, demographics, et cetera. I didn't even know to know that Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger were in a movie together until my stepmom told me today. Like, so it's like, it's that bringing together and yeah, everybody being able to laugh at something as silly as Arnold Schwarzenegger not being able to say neighbor, um, and just injecting that humor into a group of people. And now you, now you've got this feeling of nostalgia and just in memories and all good times. And you, this is all, you know, very subconsciously like ingratiating itself with the Super Bowl, and, you know, probably planting a, a very early seed of, man, I can't wait to do this again next year. I can't wait to be at the Super Bowl next year or watch the Super Bowl, get together with people and enjoy the Super Bowl together. Um, yeah. I know that's how so, I feel. Least. <laughs> I mean, so like Zay, did you have a favorite commercial from yesterday? I honestly don't pay attention during the commercials. <laughs> he doesn't watch the I really don't pay attention to the commercials. I like watch the game and even then sometimes like I'm distracted. So like go back and watch highlights and listen to game recap just to make sure that I didn't miss anything while I wasn't paying attention. But the commercials is something that I've never paid attention to. I didn't even watch the halftime show. Were you in like a big group or was it like small group? Yeah. It was literally just me here at my house. And I was like watching the game and I was like, this is cool. And then I was on my phone, I folded laundry and I was like doing house chores while I was watching so, so Trey, given what we just said about like the, the commercials being aimed at like the social consumption of the entertainment, what do you think? Like he was alone. He didn't pay as much attention to some of those things that were like the more social talking points of the entertainment. So that's interesting. Right. No, I, I and and so here I'll speak I'll speak from personal experience here. Like in in past Super Bowls or other watch parties and events, like I, I notice a difference of my engagement with the material when I'm alone versus when I'm with other people. Um, when I'm alone, I'm much more prone to multitask and be on my phone or watching something on my laptop or playing the game at the same time while watching it. Whereas when you're with people, usually there is that pull to like, okay, I'm not going to be on the game while I'm, you know, watching this game with folks or I'm not watching something else while I'm watching this game with folks. Like 
you spend the the in between times, even if you're not watching commercials, like you're engaging in social conversation. Or because other people are excited for commercials, you are paying attention to commercials now. Like I think, and that's something we could talk about even in another episode is like how we behave differently based on the groups that we're in. Like in in terms of what we would normally do with a piece of media. Because I can't, personally, I can't fixate on one thing by itself, by myself. Like, I have to be multitasking. There has to be other points of stimulus. Um, now, if there's people with me and we're watching a movie together, completely different. But I'm, if I'm watching a movie by myself, I'm not going to be nearly as locked into it as, you know, again, in a social setting. So I don't know if that's the same for you, Zach. I don't know if if there's any kind of difference there. Yeah, I think it's something worth, like, talking about is, like, whether it's at a later point or now, but, like, how we consume things more together versus alone because I don't know I think it's more when I'm in social settings it's more like on like the present moment and it's not like getting things done it's like enjoying what we're all doing together and so I think that is Mm -hmm. probably a decent reasoning for why maybe maybe Zay is just like a case in this and we're overestimating this this idea this theory exception Um, yeah but I do think that when we're in these social settings together especially when it's a big event we tend to tune in a little bit more to like what's going on in the immediate uh and less on like what we need to do in the future possibly which Zay I'm not rocking you for needing to do like your chores and stuff obviously but maybe just an analysis is you were okay with thinking about the future because the present wasn't necessarily like drawing you in the same way that if you had like five other people all in the present moment, like when it comes to the Super Bowl or watching it together, might have might have changed things. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think part of it is when it comes to the like the bigger events like that. I'm not a huge like let me go to a party simply because I know that it's not even just going to be a three hour game. It's going to be like a four to five hour ordeal, and that is a lot of people time for me, especially because my every, like my Monday through Friday, Friday from seven to four is people. So on the weekend, I was just like, I'm, I'm it's like, I just need, I'll watch the game alone and I will do my analysis and I will do my chores and then save my people time for during the week. Yeah. So I wanted in our last few minutes together while we're talking about our Super Bowl recap to think a little bit beyond the game. And to really consider, you know, what effect does the Super Bowl have um, beyond just that Sunday, that one Sunday a year? And so we have all done a little bit of research and we're all going to take a minute to talk about our own understanding of like how this helps shape beyond the game. Uh, starting with Trey, he's going to talk a little bit about the Hawaiian football team uh, that was shown during the game. And then we're also going to talk a little bit about what happens with the Losers Apparel. And then also this new thing that we recently found out, which is called the Super Bowl Legacy Grant Program. So that's what's in store in our last 10 minutes. But we'll have Trey lead us off with the Hawaiian football team. Yeah, so the Lahana Luna, I believe I'm pronouncing it right. Lahana Luna Lunas is a Maui football team from Hawaii that, you know, a few of the members, coaches and players were invited to the game. And they ultimately, you know, one of the coaches did the coin toss and everything. And the great story behind that, I mean, if you haven't been living under a rock, is Maui in Hawaii, um, a town that was just devastated by, you know, one of the most disastrous wildfires 
that we've seen. Um, just, you know, killing over 100 people, displacing thousands of people. Um, and, you know, this football team is just one of many that was affected by that. And to make a long story short, you know, they're, they're having um, the league has pledged to replace their equipment along with other local uh, other local football teams in the area. And I think it was actually Marcus Mariota that had reached out to them initially as far being, you know, a Hawaiian native um, to invite them to the Super Bowl. So they were kind of representatives. I mean, being, you know, district champs in their, uh, you know, in Hawaii, but they were representatives of that entire locale. Um, and, you know, they are kind of the, for lack of a better word, the token of the NFL's, you know, pledge to give back to the town of Maui. And I thought it was a really cool story because, I mean, it obviously when we talk about sports, at least in the history of like promote yourself, paving the way, um, we've talked about them being more than sports. And I think this is one of those uh, great examples of that because when a wildfire like the one we saw six months ago, seven months ago, takes place at home, one of the last things you're thinking about is football. Um, and yet to see the the community surrounding this team, you know, back them up and support them and sell out a home game. Um, soon after the fire happened, a homecoming game rather, um, soon after the fire, like those are things um, that you see people really put their hearts and souls into and can uplift an entire community. And in getting on the radar of, you know, an organization such as the NFL, who now pledges to help, not only, I imagine not only with football equipment, but perhaps in some other ways as well, um, or at least attracts attention of others, celebrities, influencers we talked about, that could then potentially step in uh, or other organizations, whoever they may be. So I thought that was just a really cool story um, that they spent a few minutes with like a kind of like a mini documentary video kind of explaining that story. Um, and I thought it was one of the best pieces of Super Bowl philanthropy that we saw this year. That's really cool. I didn't even know about the Marcus Mariota stuff and how he kind of like reached out but i think that's really cool that they do things like that are a little bit more close to home you know in the u.s and then that kind of gives me a segue into uh, when i was looking up what kind of philanthropy comes out of the super bowl there was a question that came up what happens with the opponent's apparel you know they make all of this apparel ahead of time and so when looking into it they actually have a program or a partnership a public private partnership um, with this organization called Good 360. And so what Good 360 does is they take all of the losers apparel um, from the NFL and the MLB whenever it comes to the time of like the Super Bowl. And they actually ship it um, to countries in need where people really need clothes. And so when I was looking at their website, it says that they <clears throat> mostly ship things overseas um, to Europe, Africa, Asia, countries that really need these kind of resources, um, simple things, you know, simple goods, but I think it makes a huge difference. And, and I think this is one thing just to highlight in terms of being a positive media outlet who really sees the value of sports is like, they're thinking of ways that they can make that impact beyond the game. Um, and just by helping, you know, people who don't really have nice clothes or anything, you know, they don't mind wearing 49ers, uh, Super Bowl champs. Um, so if you're interested look into, um, look into good 360. 
And then um, if you all have comments, feel free to cut me off. But then I was also going to give a little bit of a overview of the Super Bowl Legacy Grant Program, too. Uh, and we can kind of end it on that if y'all are cool with it. So, yep. yeah, this was something that Trey um, found out recently, which is that the Super Bowl has a program in place to fund um, non-government organizations, NGOs, um, community-run programs um, within the city, which hosts the Super Bowl each year. And so what's really cool about that is wherever the Super Bowl takes place, it gives them a huge morale in their local economy. I mean, not that Las Vegas might have needed it anyways, but it could have, you know, I don't know the dynamics of Las Vegas. Um, but this year, in partnership with the Super Bowl Legacy Grant Program, uh, the NFL and their partners had funded over $3 million in grants to over 117 local nonprofits. So over a hundred local nonprofits got funding um, to help their support of underserved communities in Las Vegas. And so I think this is one really cool example and something that's really new to me. I had no idea about this before we started looking, um, but how, you know, $3 million even divided in a hundred, that's, what is that? Over $30,000 a piece. Yeah, pretty much 30,000 a piece. That can change, you know, an organization for the better. Uh, I, I might've done that math wrong too. Could be, yeah. No, it's thirty. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So, chime in. yeah. One thing I that makes me think about. No, you did the math about right. Uh, a little over twenty five and a half. Um, one thing I think could be so easy to get lost up in is obviously the the NFL is like a multi billion dollar organization um and we hear whenever we talk about the nfl we hear about contracts and millions and millions of dollars um so i hope that the thought of well three million isn't that much money like isn't kind of like you know surfacing the area like the nfl could do more it's like sure they could but like they're doing something um, they can also do and, less right and, <laughs> yeah and it's i don't think twenty five thousand dollars is anything to sneeze at especially when you look at the volume and the breadth of what's that what that's covering for over 117 programs to be receiving 25,000 or more dollars, you know, you, to your point, that could be organiza organizationally, locally, community, communally changing, like in environmentally changing um, the amount of good that each of those individual causes, because while there may be plenty of overlap in some of those areas, it also covers a wide and diverse set of needs that should be addressed mm -hmm. within that city in particular um that you know yeah we talk about vegas and maybe like oh well it seems like a you know a big tourist place it's probably getting a lot of influx of money but one thing we shouldn't forget is how much of that money is really going to places where it's truly needed mm -hmm. um and into the infrastructure of building a community so I mean, I think that's definitely nothing to be kind of like brushed off or, you know, overshadowed by the fact that, oh, well, the NFL has more money than that that they could give. Like, that's a tremendous workload. And that's not even the only one. They have game day grants. They're giving um, a lot to nearly, yeah, totaling to nearly $2 million to another 88 different programs. I think I saw another one that said like a $1.2 million somewhere else. Like, there's, there, there's a lot of work being done with that money, and it's you know that should be something I think we should praise more. And it's almost kind of tough. Like I feel a little ambiguous about it. Like 
I don't know if I like more that the NFL isn't like publicizing that as much and saying, hey, look what we're doing. Or if I like that, you know, or if I wish that they would say something and, you know, make it known to people, hey, here's all these ways we're doing this. Um, and whether that in, whether or not that includes, hey, supplement what, like donate what you can, even if it's just time. Here's some organizations that the NFL is committed to uh, supporting and uplifting and building. You know, we encourage you to to do the same in whatever capacity you can. So, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of stuck. I'm on the fence about which one's better is that they're kind of just doing their work in quiet and just letting the work speak for themselves or, hey, get more people on board by publicizing what you're doing without kind of the air of. Oh, yeah, look at this. We're such good saints, so to speak. Not to say that that's what they're doing, obviously, but um, potentially I think that, you know, more attention is my point, more awareness about this Super Bowl philanthropy that, you know, as you mentioned, we were just learning about would be beneficial, in my opinion. But Zay, I know you said you had something to say about it. I wanted to give you space. Yeah, I I like where you're going with that. I I think the like important thing is finding at least if I was advocating for the NFL, their perspective would probably be finding the balance, right? Like putting it out there in a way that they're hey, we do support these these nonprofit organizations. However, we also support you guys as viewers coming to view the product that we're providing to you. So not overloading, you know, and overstimulating the audience with something, you know, whatever it may be, whether it is the nonprofit organizations or it's the advertisements or it's Taylor Swift, finding the balance between all of these things and making sure that they're doing right by every person that they they possibly can. But I do, I'm excited for next year because it's in New Orleans. So to go from a place like Las Vegas, that's had so much growth over the last, you know, 40 years, 50 years to go to a place like New Orleans, who had a lot of growth for probably, you know, 25 years. And then all of a sudden just like plummeted after Katrina and even going back there recently within the last few years, like it's really not in a great spot. So I think it, it's really exciting to see them go to a place like New Orleans. That's not having the sort of success that maybe a Las Vegas is or last year, how it was in Phoenix or the year prior was in Tampa, you know, like, going to a place like New Orleans that probably needs it a little bit more crucially than some of these other major cities is very, very exciting. Yeah, that's a really good point. So I just wanted to end with this kind of like last food for thought on this topic, which is just what if next year, not that the NFL is listening to this episode, but if they are, you know, hopefully you take this into consideration next year, they have in mind, you know, that $3 million and those 120 NGOs or nonprofits and stuff. And then they make a commercial highlighting the work that the nonprofits are doing in that community. And then they open up a link or a QR code in that commercial saying, donate now ab above and on top of that $3 million and just see if you have 120 million viewers, everyone donates a dollar. Everyone donates. Every other person donates a dollar. Yeah. You know, that's, that's like $50 million. <laughs> $60 million. And so it would be maybe a way, you know, I can't, they can't take out of their commercial time, obviously, because that'll lose them money. But if they really want to give in and increase the giving, that could be a good way where more people can see the impact that they're having. And it also gives people the opportunity to give um, food for thought. And I mean, even just, a, and just a quick 
thing to build on that. Like personally, I don't, I, I always kind of ride the fence of like where I stand with incentivizing altruistic giving, like in my mind, in an ideal world, everybody does that without even thinking, without even hesitating. Okay. Right. But like, maybe you even add an incentive, like, Hey, donate, you know, now for a chance at such and such pro bowl tickets, super bowl, like whatever, you know, super bowl tickets. Um, and, you know, really incentivize that. Cause like, the bottom line, the, you know, result that we're looking for is helping other people. And if that means incentivizing other people to do that, even in whatever small ways, like you said, a dollar of you at 120 million views, like a dollar per person would be, I mean, no less than life or community changing. Uh, and especially when we talk about a place like New Orleans, um, I mean, we saw what that 2009 Super Bowl did for the city, like how big that was for that city post Katrina. So even just hosting our Super Bowl there and, you know, with the NFL hopefully following through with these promises, as I'm sure they have in the past, like that could be just monumental. Um, and as somebody who was in Louisiana this past weekend for Mardi Gras, albeit not in New Orleans per se, I was more close to my dad's uh, neck of the woods, small town of 6,000, call it ho uh, Hood Holiday, um, mm -hmm. where the parades come through and everything. So it, it, it's just a great community feeling. So to see um, that kind of effort, you know, both uh, time-wise, I was going to say temporally, but I don't know if you use that outside of philosophy, um, and financially, like that, those would be amazing to see the impact on that community over the next five or 10 years with, you know, that kind of business put behind it. Um, but I did want to give you guys any more space to, if you guys have any final comments on what we're talking about today. Uh, otherwise, I'll go ahead and wrap us up if you guys are good. So um, yeah. I think this has been uh, an awesome episode. And I think just a highlight and just a, a peek for all of our listeners out there uh, in terms of what we're taking as a as a direction for our sporting the way episodes going forward um we're nfl season's over and to be quite honest with you guys we're not about to break down the nfl i mean the nba or the nhl nearly at the level that we did with the nfl in the postseason and everything um but this transition into more sports well-being um and exploring that kind of in new ways and, and uplifting communities um, we're going to have some great episodes coming out and great content coming out for you guys. So make sure to hit the bell, get notifications, leave a review, follow us, um, paving the way PTW on Instagram um, and catch back up with us. Thank you for all the love and we'll give it right back to you. Um, this has been another episode of Sporting the Way on the Promote Yourself podcast where I, your host with the most, Trey Walker, Blazing Sensation, am signing off. Thank you, everybody, and have a good night. Bye, everybody.